Tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops, forget Russia. We travel to the city of love and romance, Paris, to relish in John Travolta taking his over-the-top amp and cranking it all the way up to 11. Hops and Box Office Flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome back. Hops and Box Office Flops presented by Revenge of the Fans. It is Travolta Month. And after suffering through the mess that is Battlefield Earth, we are on to much better things. In an era of aging actors finding new life by becoming hyper-masculine badasses, John Travolta goes all in, shaving his head, which is actually his natural look, adorning a scarf, and acting at ham levels rarely seen. That, listeners, is the action masterpiece from Paris with Love. So before we get started, along with me is Chumpzilla. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Howdy, folks. Happy to be here. Points of order. You can find the show on both Twitter and Facebook at Hops and B.O. Flops. What are we drinking tonight, Chumpzilla? Well, what we've got tonight is a lager beer hailing from France. We've got some Cronenborg 1664. It checks in at a respectable 5.0 ABV and was, in fact, the only French beer I could find at my local Total Wine. So, with that being said, checkmate, motherfuckers. This beer actually works on two levels because we often talk about David Cronenberg, and it's a French beer. Check. So I agree. Let's get into it. Uh, From Paris with Love came out February 5th, 2010. Met with mostly middling reviews, 38% on Rotten Tomatoes, 42% on Metacritic. Filmgoers, also pretty tepid. B Cinema score, 54% user reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Let me just say unequivocally, you're all wrong. You're all fools, the lot of you. This movie kicks ass. Box office-wise, grossed just $52.83 million worldwide on a budget of 52. So not a tremendous flop, but if you factor in marketing, that's a pretty big disappointment. It was directed by Pierre Morel uh, of Taken, which is probably his most famous film. District B-13, uh, recently Peppermint, which I haven't seen. Uh, From a story by Luc Besson, Fifth Element, Leon the Professional, Lucy, Valerian, and the City of Terrible Acting, among many, many other things. That action pedigree shows in this movie because this movie really is just an hour and 30 minutes of john travolta kicking ass starring john kitchen staff hoss travolta jonathan tudor reese myers and then a hundred ambiguous targets for travolta to mow down or kick the shit out of <laughs> that's that checks out that's basically the cast he kicks the shit out of pakistanis he kicks the shit out of asian people and uh he even kicks the shit. Well, he kills woman. So, does any Caucasians die in this movie? You know what? I don't think so. so. Uh, is is the uh, is Caroline? Is she white? Well, I don't know where she's from, actually. But she's, she's radicalized a, by means we're not exactly sure. So, I've got some issues with with this movie in that regard. There is a slight racist undertone to the whole thing, particularly because. John Travolta is this big, loud, obnoxious American who, even when he's just mowing people down, it was like, well, what do you feel bad about? We're alive. They're dead. It's like, oh, good message. <laughs> good message, John. Well, that, and I, I think this, this movie, I think the, the dark side of it is that it's, uh, it's romanticized by some people, and I think it's also a statement about racism in France that they fear the influx of uh, uh, immigrants. And I think it's very clear when you have the final confrontation scene where she goes, hey, she's Pakistani. That doesn't mean she's a terrorist, but it does. Except every <laughs> the, Pakistani in the movie is a terrorist, yeah. Yeah, it's a, so I, it's a little a little ham-fisted. Um, 
in that regard. So I, it's got its drawbacks, but let's just take all the politics out of it for a yeah. second. It's yeah. still an insane, over-the-top, hammy John Travolta action movie. Oh, it's a thrill, thrill ride. The plot, yeah. as described by IMDb, in Paris, a young employee in the office of the U.S. ambassador hooks up with an American spy looking to stop a terrorist attack in the city. How would you describe this movie in one sentence, Chumzilla? Well, first, I would say that that summary sells this movie short. I agree. And I would say that uh, what we've got here is John Travolta stars in the unlikely reboot of Training Day, this time with an international flair. And the only thing more over the top than this movie's body count is Travolta's outlandishly flamboyant performance as not-so-secret agent Charlie Wax. Yep. It is it is training day esque where you've got sort of the young naive guy and the old grizzled guy who is not afraid to cut corners and do things his own way. Of course, Travolta is a good guy because yeah, yeah, but he gets wet. Yeah. So, so my description is Travolta, fuck yeah, coming to save the motherfucking day, yeah. <laughs> Okay, I think you won that one. I think you won that one. Points go to Mr. Wizard. The light plot reflection, which uh, Captain Cash often does, I think that really covers it, right? Like, you have this young guy who's undercover but doing simple tasks, pointless stuff, administrative. Well, I think this movie gets weird in, like, the first 15 minutes. Because it goes from what really seems like a really smart movie where you've got this intelligent character that's clearly got a, a, a second life or a second role. And you're really expecting it to go this really thriller, you know, political thriller, complicated route. And then Travolta shows up and just like purposefully blows the doors off of it, which is entertaining. But yeah. I will admit it. It is a bit strange because the movie seems to set some things up that don't pay off in the end. And and I can't tell if that's intentional or not. And I, I made the comment earlier that there's a lot of uh, Chekhov's gun in this movie. And I'd say like two-thirds of it pays off and in fantastic fashion. But there's like a third of the, the lingering shots or, or hints that you think you're getting to go nowhere. And you're left kind of wondering, like, what the hell happened? Like, I feel like there was a smart movie buried in here, and then Travolta steamrolled over it. And maybe, I hate to say it, but maybe for the better. Oh, I think his performance just saves this movie. He, he steals every scene. From the time he enters frame at the airport customs, it is a tour de force. And Jonathan Reese Myers, who he's been okay in some things i mean i i called him the tutor and that show was pretty good and, uh, yeah he was fine in mission impossible 3 he's pretty limited in this movie he's fairly boring he's pretty flat and it, and like the plot gets steamrolled by travolta he does like he's only there to be straight the straight guy but we've had better straight men in very similar type movies where you have the mismatched duo but do you think that was intentional? I feel I feel like the 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 way they stretched out his straight man thing was intentional, because he literally doesn't do anything. That's a that is a a, a plot line in the movie is his inability to participate in the mayhem, and you're waiting for the moment where he finally does, and they save it up until the very end. So I yeah. feel like that was sort of the point. But again, I think I think this was a smart movie. That lost its way. It could have been. They could have done more with that because it seems weird at the end. That he, sh- that the fi- he finally kills somebody and he literally shoots the woman that is the closest to him. And hey, I'll just say it: the foreshadowing in this movie is over the top. Oh yeah, because it's very clear she's a terrorist. Well, yeah. And if you watch it a second time, Travolta's telling him the whole time, "Hey, she's going to be a problem. She's going to be the end of you." And blah blah. Yeah. blah. It's like, oh yeah, okay, I get. Where'd they, it. I get where'd it. they it get these sense. pictures of you? Like, what is she doing yeah. in this uh, tenement in the middle of a horrible neighborhood? And so here, I'll just say one thing that bothered me about that is he they set him up in the beginning of the movie to be the master chess player, uh, the master strategist, the smart guy in the room. Yeah. And then he gets – he the entire rest of the movie, he turns into Jack Burton 
and uh, John Travolta comes in as Wang, and yeah, he's like all of a sudden he's clueless the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's like wait a minute, you you, you were the smart guy, you were the strategist, you were one move ahead of everybody, and and you made the unexpected move to put your boss in checkmate because. Because they kind of set him up as like, oh, you're too methodical. But then he showed like, oh, no, I, I can be creative. Beats his, jo- his boss in that opening chess scene. But then that goes nowhere. He never he never has that moment. I, you could argue at the end of the film, close to the end of the film, when he deducts that his girlfriend is not in the Volvo and is actually doing something else was his big brain moment. But I would kind of argue the rest of the movie, he's just kind of a bumbling idiot carrying around a vase of Coke. Which is just classic. Which is insane. I love when he he calls his boss and he's like, he's got me carrying around a a vase of drugs. He's like, don't don't question Wax's methods. (laughs) That's that's another excellent Chekhov's uh, gun. Who was his boss? Yeah, good point. I, I mean, I, I wanted I wanted to know that I wanted to see some scene of him at least answering the phone somewhere in the Bahamas or something, just to give some indication of what kind of operation this was. I'll, I'll take a, a moment here. The first thing that caught my attention in this movie that made me expect to see it come back again, and there was never a callback, was the slight lingering shot on the a jar stapler after he staples the microchip to the bottom of the table. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, he he didn't close the stapler someone's going to realize that's a jar. Okay, that's important. This is now a gritty reboot of Office Space. That stapler is going to come back and, and ruin things. And then, no, or I, I guess not. I thought that was a significant shot with the way they lingered on it, and I expected to see it called back to, and it never happened. I think everything that happens at the beginning is just to establish, especially when you meet Travolta, that this guy is so far out of his league. Like, he's been swapping license plates and planting bugs and doing a guy's, like, daily task list. He's not prepared for what he's walking into. So I really didn't... Right. The stapler was just a long shot that, to me, meant nothing. It was probably just a weird directorial choice, but he does that long shot on his girlfriend, too, and it does mean something. So maybe it's just trying right. to play with you in, in certain ways. Sure. Well, I, I thought it was interesting because I was also, after seeing the whole movie, again, who is he working for? Why is he bugging the embassy's office? Yeah. He's there. Like I, I'm confused. And then he's so secretive about his placement. And then he just stays in the room and nobody gives a shit that he's in there. So why does he wait till they all left and just do it anyway? I know. And he's trying to use gum, which is a foolish maneuver. In itself, and then he, and then I'm sorry, but I have some semblance of the understanding of how a microchip works. I don't think stapling it is a good strategy. I think it would break it. Yeah, I think if that I might cause some problems. Yeah. Last time I checked, metal is conductive, so uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you're right though. Maybe that was entirely just to establish his by the book persona. So when you say this movie was probably more serious at some point in the script's development. I'll put it like this, because one, you have to see what Travolta does throughout this film, and you're going to get a glimpse of it as we go through some of his best one-liners in just a moment. But it would be like if you're watching Taken and Brian Mills, the dad whose daughter is Taken, is literally calling people a mother effer and making gestures with his penis at them like thrusting his penis, uh, doing it, doing cocaine in the Eiffel Tower elevator. Not for one moment is he very subtle until like the end of the movie. And he's like, oh man, that sucks that your girlfriend is a terrorist. Let's have a cheeseburger and be normal for two minutes. And then it's back on. I enjoyed when he uh, talked about well, first off, there's some really cliche stuff in here. So uh, the softy Reese goes to Wax and says, what do you know about love? And Reese actually get, or excuse me, <clears throat> Wax actually gives a thoughtful answer about somebody he loved in the Congo and somewhere else. And, Beirut or something. Hey, Beirut, yeah, same girl two times or whatever. But contrary to what you think, I'm not made of stone. Like, I thought, you know, they tr- it, there were moments where that character had some balance. But for most of the time, as you said in the intro, Mr. Wizard, he had the Velveeta cranked up to 11. 
And it was so brilliant. So I have some I have some serious questions. Okay. Is Charlie Wax the most badass bald CIA agent who ever to ever wear a scarf on film? I think the answer is clear. I, I, yeah, I mean that's a hard yes for me. That is a rock hard yes for me. I couldn't think of another one, but the answer would always be yes. Yeah. Now, Wax's best one-liner. I've uh, got a few that I've put on here. Okay. Okay. And this is actually his intro in the film where he is dealing with French customs and he says to him, don't get your panties up in a bunch because I use the M word as an adjective. As in, when I landed at this airport, I was confronted by a self-important, American-hating, frog-leg-eating, snail-sucking, motherfucking bureaucrat. Believe it or not, I had to edit some of that. Uh, Evidence my ass. Where we're headed, that's better than cash. And he's talking about the vase of cocaine. Oh, man, I just gave you a straight-up Hong Kong Shaw Brothers Kung Fu motherfucking chop suey show, and you're worried about this candy-ass street gang? Just before he destroys the street gang. Kitchen staff? There's no kitchen staff shedding lead like that. No kitchen staff, Hoss. <laughs> so there's more throughout the film, but those are some of my favorites. You're clearly glossing over the best one-liner in this movie. And context is everything, Mr. Wizard. Uh, it is definitely checkmate, motherfucker. That one's That's also it. good. Because there's so many chess illusions in the movie. There's so many chess references. That one takes the cake for me. Uh, do you recall when he is storming the Chinese compound and he's just killing people and they're all dropping down the stair, the like uh, spiral staircase? And yes. uh, Reese says to him, you know how many are left? And he says, last census? About a billion. About a billion, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's casually racist. Okay. He really, he is on another level. My favorite is, is the intro when he's yelling at the French guy. And that's, I mean, he says more to this guy. It's fantastic. Because then he describes motherfucker in a noun. Also great. Yeah. yeah that scene, I, I thought I was watching a different movie. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, like, like, okay, what is, what the hell is going on here? I had no clue that was coming. Now, best action sequence or kill of the movie, which there are a lot, which we'll also talk about in just a moment. So, Raid on the French Tenement, where Wax, and this is clearly not Travolta because there's heavy stunt doubling happening in this movie, slides down a fireman's pole upside down, shoots two people in the head, and then drops a suicide vest onto a fleeing terrorist car. When he clowns the street gang, the awkward dinner scene where he shoots uh, Rose, not Rose, but that's the code, in the head, or the immaculate rocket shot from the bridge. Well, here are my takes on those scenes. The raid on the French uh, uh, you know, apartment building, uh, that gets the win for me because the Velveeta factor was high. You had a hefty John Travolta rappelling through a window. You had a hefty John Travolta riding that fireman's pole. And it was just, it was, it, it very well could have been Arnold Schwarzenegger or uh, uh, freaking Stallone in that scene. That was just classic mid eighties action. That was awesome. It was over the top. It made no sense. And yeah, and there was no way in hell that's Travolta doing any of that stone work. Yeah. There, um, there's a rooftop chase where I'm pretty sure there's a black stunt double. Yeah, and also that was such a cliche st- like rooftop chase. I've, I think I've seen that in like eight movies before, at least easily. Like the shots, the cuts, the angles. I'm like, I've seen this before. This is a lot of yeah, hard it, cuts. Anyway. Yeah, that was not not good. Um, the shootout at the Chinese restaurant, okay. Also somehow great. Yeah. this movie, great, but this movie came out in 2010, and it somehow looked dated versus The Matrix, which had a similar that the lobby shootout with the columns and all that. It looked it, it similar look to me, and somehow The Matrix looked better than a movie that came out 11 years later. So that one uh, just doesn't hold up. That one is um, a bit of. Uh back and forth like they're shooting at Travolta he kills them by the way this is 80 shoot 'em up in every sense of the term even though it came out in 2010 Travolta gets shot zero times yes and when we're grazed getting, yeah, zero times not even hit Reese yeah. who does nothing for the majority of the film gets shot uh, uh, more on that 
uh, in a second. I have an opinion on that as well. Uh, I will also add that I often mention that I was disappointed as a youth because I did not get to see The Matrix in the theaters. And that's because my high school girlfriend made me watch Never Been Kissed, which I have confused on this pod with Fever Pitch. And I now realize those are, in fact, two different movies. Very different movies. It's the first one's a Drew Barrymore, Luke Wilson vehicle. The second one was uh, Jimmy Fallon and somebody else. Doesn't matter. It's Drew I'm Barrymore. Still salty. Again? Yeah. In both of them? And it's, I don't yeah, think see, it's Luke why... Wilson and Never Been Kissed. That's a different Drew Barrymore movie. No, it's like Mike, Michael Vardum, Vardner. So he was on Alias. He's the teacher that she falls in love with. But, but both those movies have a baseball scene in it and Drew Barrymore, and that's why I get them confused. So fuck those movies. I should have saw The Matrix in theaters. The, uh, the, the Chinese street gang fight, I think that was like a proto-Batman vs. Superman warehouse fight type scene. Had a lot of good close hand-to-hand combat, some broken bones, and some good like jujitsu stuff, and the guy gets his neck snapped. But the way it was cut and shot, it felt like it was done by somebody who hadn't done a lot of action before. So I'm a little surprised to see this is coming from the director of Taken. And, hey, maybe it was because they relied too heavily on Travolta and not stunt work. I don't know. But I will also say this. I appreciate this movie did not use a lot of CGI. Oh, yeah. Almost none. Yeah. A lot of stunt work and practical effects almost across the board. But that one just seemed a little, little, little off to me. And you can tell that scene is basically him because they do a lot of slow-mo and that makes it feel like almost any, it feel it doesn't feel like the other action scenes in the movie, which are yeah. all sh- it, pretty frenetic, but not shot frenetically, which I hate. There's no shaky camera and all that nonsense. They're pretty clear and readable scenes, but they're not the yeah. slow-mo where they do in this scene. Like after every attack, it slows down. Uh, maybe it's because it's the only real hand-to-hand combat scene, but it just felt off to me. But it was good. It was still good. It was, I mean, like you said, from an 80s shoot 'em up movie standpoint, it was all right. The the awkward dinner, the only thing that was really awkward in that dinner for me was like the casual racism. Like I feel like they just kind of laughed off a lot of stuff and that uh, about the Pakistanis and all that. It was kind of cringy. This movie would would have a much more difficult time being made today. Because yeah, of some I mean, of the t- choices it makes with that stuff, which, yeah, they're not. It's not a very sensitive movie in any respect whatsoever. And, and they could have toned it down some, but I think this is meant to be brash. But anyway, the last one I've got, as you mentioned, was the <clears throat> rocket shot from the bridge. That scene suffered from some seriously poor editing. The hard cuts on that, like they they could have used some better camera work to make that more dynamic. That felt really choppy and uh that car explosion it really needed the michael bay treatment like that was kind of like the money shot and they should have made that way over the top i thought for this movie the explosion we got was pretty subdued you're right because if that car was really loaded and rigged to explode and it got hit with that rocket the explosion would have been much bigger than it was it would look like just a car exploding so all the the plastic explosive in the back didn't seem to actually matter. That thing really should have went up. Yeah, I, if I think I've ever seen a scene in a movie that really needed the big gasoline bag fireball, that was it. I mean, it it is the that's the it's not the end of the movie, but that's the last big moment of the movie. I don't really care so much about Reese and his girlfriend. Reese is inconsequential. You could remove him, but- and you could just have a guy running around holding the uh, vase of cocaine and have no connection to his girlfriend. I just want to watch Travolta uh, be Travolta in this movie. Okay. So I've got two big issues with this movie. And one of them is related to this, to the car's blow up scene. Uh, Let's see if you agree with me here, Mr. Wizard. What I don't understand is why Charlie Wax didn't blow up the car earlier. I don't understand why they decided to make the, 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 the narrative decision to have to establish that the girl was in the car. I think it's much more important that they would have made the decision that Caroline was the terrorist. She's in the car. They have to be stopped. Wax blows it up without question. And then after that, he calls Reese and says, hey, I got her. You know, mission's done. It's over. And he goes, no, no, Wax, no. 
she wasn't in the car. He's like, what do you mean she wasn't in the car? She's like, no, 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 she's not in the car. I found evidence. She's at the, you know, she's at the summit. We've got to get there. Like that would have added so much more tension and drama that they think they've won. And then big brain Reese finally makes use of his big brain that he never really does through the whole movie. He's, he starts off smart and he's stupid the rest of the movie. Uh, what is that? No, she's actually there. Her plan is to actually distract us. And she's if, after the fact, they find that out. It's much more dramatic. And then they have a mad dash to get there to prevent the actual explosion. So the fact that they establish she's not in the car and Reese has to not Reese, but uh, wax has to pull up next to her and check it out. And he still blows it up. It just didn't make any sense to me. They could add so much more tension and drama to that. Had they come to the realization after the fact, do you agree, Mr. Wizard? Uh, I think the whole point of that, it is him flexing this intellect. He's finally using his instincts instead of being such a tight ass and he figures it out and that's his moment. Like Wax made the wrong call, although it's not really the wrong call. They have to do both. Yeah, exactly. So so that's my point. He does it first and then after the fact, it's like, oh, but it's, there's still a threat. His big brain flex matters more. Yeah. Because Wax is like, well, whatever. This guy's still going to suicide bomb the convoy. I got to take him out anyway. Yeah. It's like a win. It's a win-win. There's there's no tension there. They defuse the tension ahead of the conflict. I don't. I should be a scriptwriter. That's all I'm saying. Now, last question. Okay. Wax's use of the F word, or the amount of people who die in the film, which one was higher? I'm going to go with the F word. Okay. And I also recommend it should be a drinking game. Oh yeah. Because I think everybody should take a drink when Wax drops the F bomb. Yeah. If you're gonna. Have some casual beers and watch from Paris with Love, and I would recommend you have a couple. I don't. I think it's an awesome movie, so you you probably you don't need to like get drunk to see it. But if you do the drinking game, you will be drunk. That's just a warning. Because Fact. it is the F word. He says the F word sixty one times, and they only kill fifty one people. So <laughs> not bad though. That in an hour and thirty two minutes, so eighty two minutes, they average. Over a half person a minute on screen killed. That's one of the recurring things, too. They're like, how many people have you killed today? He's like, I don't know, about one per hour. And I would give this movie a solid three beers. It's entertaining, but a buzz will definitely make it a little more enjoyable. So what's the time frame for this movie, Mr. Wizard? Is it two days or three? I think it's like two, two and a half? Day and a half. Yeah, about a day day and a half? half? Yeah, I would say. If I was if I was estimating, it was about a day and a half worth of time. Wax shows up at night. The restaurant, the shootout at the the Chinese pimps place. To the ten, thirty-two hours. Day and a half. Yeah, it's uh, it's intense. It's a thrill ride. It moves fast. It does. Uh, so a couple things I learned, and there wasn't really much, which sucks. Like a lot of these, sometimes with newer movies, especially ones that. There's no production troubles of note that I knew of. This is just a movie that didn't get reviewed as well as I think it should have. Uh, car chase on the motor on the motorway outside the town of Anisi uh, was yet to be open to the public. So you'll see, if you're paying attention, towards the end where the stunt double is hanging out the window trying to get the clear rocket shot, the opposite side of the highway is totally empty. Correct if I'm wrong. At some point, does Travolta move from the sunroof to the window? Or is he always out of the window? No, he's always in the window. Yeah. Okay. If you're a Travolta fan, Charlie tells Reese that his one vice is a what? Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. Another long shot, Mr. Wizard, that confused me. They left the bag of McDonald's food on the bench and walked away. We saw Reese throw his container into a trash can that was directly adjacent to the bench. But Wax, who at this point, I'm assuming everything Wax does is intentional. Because he makes it pretty clear everything he does is intentional. Right. He, he leaves the bag on the bench and walks away like, oh, shit, what's in the bag? And yeah. nothing. And, and again, they leave a long shot on it. And I'm like, OK, it's centered in the frame. I'm taking note. Will that come back? Yeah. Spoiler. It does not. It does not. No. Well, he does get a Royale with cheese at the end. Maybe it's the same one. Ooh, salmonella. Okay. Oh, no. Those things hold up forever. 
Luke, <laughs> Luke Besson and Kelly Preston uh, both make very quick cameos. Uh, Bassan is seen getting out of a car and facing the camera as it moves past the line of parked cars. I didn't catch him. But Preston, she's the woman in the Eiffel Tower scene wearing the sunglasses. She's like directly behind Jonathan Reese Myers when he's calling his girlfriend. Ah. So no really I long, not catch that. Uh, disturbing tongue like her cameo in Battlefield Earth. I'm surprised she wasn't one of the hookers. Last one. And one thing I will note is I'll post the video of the body count on our social, but I would recommend watching this movie first because you want to see them in all their glory, not from some YouTube channel. On an interview with the celebrity examiner, Luc Besson commented that he would love to see From Paris With Love turn into a franchise with sequels, Me Too. I would love it, and it is not going to happen. Travolta also said we could do From London With Love, From pa- from Prague With Love. Listen, if Olympus Has Fallen got two sequels, and I like that movie too because it's a big, dumb, loud action movie where guy who used to be the best at what he does gets demoted for some trauma in his past, but then it's really clear he's the best at what he does. I'm all about those movies. This should have gotten sequels. This is a better movie than Olympus Has Fallen. Uh, I would just say that I would watch this shit out of From Prague with Love, because I've been to Prague, and Prague is awesome. And I think this movie was so much fun, it deserves a sequel. Yeah, you could take Travolta's character anywhere, and I'd watch it. I don't care where you take yeah. him. There's, whole, there's avenues abound. Get this going. This movie didn't cost that much. Come on, green light it. No, this costs less than Battlefield Earth, and Travolta's charm factor in this is off the charts. Here's the thing. I, I, I'm sorry it didn't find an audience. I, I, you know, Again, I will say this. Some of the, the action in this movie was lackluster. So I'm kind of Some surprised of is, yeah. because of the director. Uh, maybe it was a lack of budget or something, but there's a way to make this work because maybe Travolta can't do the action stuff. Maybe you have to rely on more stunt work and some CGI to make that believable. But his hammy performance was gold. There's a way to capitalize on that. You just got to find a way to make it work. Here's what I'll say. Tra- the last 10 years of Travolta, not count- so beyond this film, his filmography gets very rough. Right? You've got Robert Shapiro in the OJ series on FX, which is good. He was he was he was good. He wasn't the best part about that show, but he was good. But I'm just gonna read to you his IMDB. We need this sequel. Stop screwing around. He is he's drowning right now, Travolta. So his filmography, since this movie came out, 2010, will go in sequential order. Savages. That was a pretty good one, right? Oliver Stone. He's a bit player in it, but it's an Oliver Stone film. The Killing Season with Robert De Niro, where he is a Serbian, ex-Serbian army personnel who comes back to get revenge on De Niro. It is not good. 25 on Metacritic. Not great. I've seen it, and it is indeed bad. The Forger. 32 Metascore. Life on the Line, where he's the electrician. 24 Metascore. Criminal Activities. This one I think got okay. That was 51. So, In the Valley of Violence. Oh, that one's good. Okay, I'll see that. That's with Ethan Hawke. I Am Wrath, which is essentially Death Wish. Not even reviewed. Gotti, which is 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. 24 on Metascore. Speed Kills. So Speed Kills wasn't about uh, car racing. It's about boat racing, which is infinitely less interesting. 19 on Metascore. Trading Paint. There's his car racing movie. 34 on Metascore. And now The Poison Rose. 30 on Metascore. Guys, come on. Just give me a sequel to this movie, please. There is only one solution to this problem, Mr. Wizard, and it's from Prague with Love. Yeah, let's go. Charlie Wax, bring him back. You just heard this awful IMDb list. There was one movie on there that didn't stink in the last nine years. Come on, it's time. Bring Johnny home. I don't care. You could it could have the same exact plot. He could be cursing at customs agents in Prague. I just want to see it. You know what? I want to see him do it with Michael Sarah. I'll take that. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who the straight I feel, man is. I, I feel like you just up the camp factor up a bit. 
and yeah, just just I, I want to see yeah, I want to see it be as ridiculous as possible because that's that is probably the high point of this movie is that it just the best parts of it are the parts that make the least amount of sense. Yep. When this movie tries to be smart, it falls apart. But when you just like look at the dumbest parts or the most base parts of it, it's entertaining. And correct me if I'm wrong. Was there not some sort of novel explosive that was introduced into the canon of this movie? Uh, yeah, on the car, on Reese's car, which seems a little... Mm, how should I say... There's a lack of foresight in putting a bomb under the car of one of your agents because all it took to make it explode was wax basically rear-ending it. But there's some weird kind of, See, that's why I got confused because you smack it, it blows up, uh-huh. but then the terrorists also have these explosives that you can't shoot, but they have to be armed because they have to be plugged in. Well, I don't, I, I, I don't know much about suicide vests, to be honest. But, but he, yeah, but didn't he call it, didn't he call it a shock explosive at some point? Uh, I don't know. I know. I mean, they're usually detonated by remote. Yeah, but they were saying like, don't don't shoot her. You have to shoot her in the head. You can't shoot the vest. Well, you can't shoot the vest for sure. Yeah, until it's disarmed, which they they unplug. Yeah, I don't. Know. It was. It was it, I, I thought there was an attempt at world building there that I couldn't quite follow. But anyway, moving on. Take a quick break, and when we come back, it's perhaps my favorite segment of all time. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by RevengeOfTheFans.com. This is our second segment, perhaps the greatest thing I've ever come up with, and it is in the pantheon of Travolta characters. Which of these does Charlie Wax, for lack of a better term, wax in a fight? I have five. Five people that he's going up against. Some of his more tough guy personas throughout the years. So, we'll start with our first matchup. I'll defer to you on who wins the fight. It's Charlie Wax versus Vincent Vega from Pulp Fiction. At first glance, I thought this would be the toughest uh, to pick in terms of a winner. But, I would say that uh, Wax is a much more versatile agent than Vincent Vega. So head to head, I got to give Wax the edge there. I mean, Vega's got some skills, but he's more of a straightforward mob hitman. Wax is a government agent. He's much more refined in his tactics, regardless of his brash, uh, you know, surface attitude. So yeah, I'm giving it to Wax. Before I break it down, I do think these two would get along. I think they have a lot of commonalities, particularly their casual drug abuse. But for me, it does come down to those couple of factors. Vega's drug problem is considerably worse than Wax's. And that could hinder his judgment at precisely the wrong time. Uh, There's also a good chance that he has irritable bowel syndrome, a condition not helped by his dicey diet choices. As we've seen with Wax, he's got a lead gut. He can eat whatever he wants. Now, Vega, when he's killed in Pulp Fiction, when... Bruce Willis gets the better of him, it's because he has to use the toilet at an inopportune time. Just being a casual observer, I think Wax would rather shit his pants than get caught with them down. Winner, running away, Charlie Wax. Uh, I'll just say this. Uh, Vega is on downers. Wax is on uppers. I'll give the guy on uppers the advantage just about every time. That's a good point. Just saying. Yep. Just saying. Matchup number two. Charlie Wax versus Turl from Battlefield Earth. Okay, this is an easy one. Who's quickest on the draw? And contrary to the trick shot display that we got from Turl, those rubber mitts are not handling the pistol. He's getting smoked by our boy Wax. Yep. Terrible Turl. Uh, has, he has the size and the range. He could paw at Wax a little bit. Uh, he also has that alien technology. Uh, Wax hasn't necessarily encountered some stuff from the year 3000, although you'd be hard-pressed to convince me he doesn't own a time machine. That said, Turl is so obsessive in his quest to gain leverage, that's where he gets himself into trouble with Wax. I don't think he could outsmart Wax, 
Now, if you couple that with Terrell's inability to really move with any sort of speed because of the stilts, it's a long night for him. I think more than likely Agreed. Charlie Wax beats him to death with a gold brick that he himself smelted after beating up the Cyclo kitchen staff in the prison. Wax. Winner. Nailed it. Yep. <laughs> now number three. This one's a little tricky. It's Charlie Wax versus Frank Morrison from Domestic Disturbance, which if you haven't seen, Frank Morrison is the ex-husband whose son is in jeopardy because Vince Vaughn, Vince Vaughn is a murderer, and he's the new dad. Uh, I, I've seen this movie once. I don't recall it all that well, but it doesn't really matter because, <laughs> damn it, if Charlie Wax isn't just a charming character... Um, I think, you know, in his bag of tricks, he's going to outsmart, uh, you know, his, his alter ego and, uh, he's going to pull it off somehow. He'll probably slide down a fire pole upside down and pull off some no scope headshots, bang, 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 and, and make it happen. It's Charlie wax doesn't lose. That's yeah. just, that's just the fact. That might be a common theme here. He's going to figure this out. It doesn't matter. Circumstances, Vince Vaughn, it doesn't matter. Charlie Wax. I would say this. Frank Morrison has the heart of a lion. He takes some serious lumps from uh, Vince Vaughn, the secret maniac, after the discovery of that. Because at first he doesn't believe his son. But then once he, you know, once he discovers Vince Vaughn, who is really creepy... Uh, he's like, hey, I'm going to stop at nothing. i got to protect my son. And he gets the shit kicked out of him. He keeps coming. That said, Wax would never allow his ex-wife to slum around with Vince Vaughn. He'd gather the appropriate intel and then blow his car up. That kind of initiative, to me, puts him way over Frank Morrison. Yeah. Winner, Wax, run away again. Now we're getting into a couple tough matchups. Charlie Wax versus Vic Deacons, Broken Arrow. Who wins? Uh, you're right. This is a tougher one. It's a tougher one. But I would like to think that if you're comparing these two, I think at this point Travolta has got a little more weight going on as Charlie Wax. So I'm gonna. He might not have the reach advantage at this point as he did. Well, again, better on Terrell. You know, he was on the negative side of the reach advantage. But at this point, he's got the weight advantage. So I think that's going to give him some more power and some more stamina. So I think if it comes down to a slugfest, you know, I'm taking the weapons out of the picture here because you got gunplay, you got uh, nuclear bombers. I'm going to take those off the table. It's going to be a fist fight. I'm going to give the heavier, more experienced, the more mature uh, Travolta. The advantage here, again, Charlie Wax. Yeah, I agree. And here's why. <laughs> this is a test because Deacons fights dirty and he has a bodyguard. So Howie Long, sort of outside interference. Like uh, Christian Slater, though, I think Mac, uh, I think Wax makes quick work of the dim-witted Long. I think it happens the Oof. exact same way. Kicks him off a moving train. And from there... <laughs> Deacons has no choice but to pay the piper. Now it's one-on-one, and Deacons' trouble defending kicks, that's it for him. Wax can do it all. Yeah. So once you get yeah. Wax warmed up, we know that Deacons has suspect stamina. He smokes the entire movie. Wax has no problem. He drags him into the deep waters, puts him in the blender. Winner, Wax. Hey, 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 hey. Wax on. Wax off. Wax off. Boom. And the last one, this is a twofer. Charlie Wax versus Sean Archer slash Caster Troy, the Travolta version. Face off. Who wins? This is the toughest for me because this is sort of like a Travolta versus Travolta versus Travolta. Yeah. It's a menage a trois of Travolta's. But I think Charlie Wax centers himself and finds that big ball energy. And he just checkmate motherfuckers on top of all of those guys and comes out on top. Because as far as I can tell, there's nobody better at what he does than Charlie Wax. So if Deacons was the test, this is the final exam. So I have two schools of thought. Okay. 
Wax has little issue putting the boots to Archer. He's going to take Archer out to the woodshed. He's done. Forget him. Archer's soft. Really had no business winning in face-off. Caster Troy, though, that's a bird of another feather. He, like Wax, acts with conviction. Right? Even at death's door, he's willing to cut his current face-off to spite the man whose face it is. That takes dedication. A guy like that doesn't yeah. go down without a fight. But Wax, unlike Archer, has no ties that bind him. He doesn't have a son, right? So Art, when Troy kills Archer's son, that totally breaks Sean Archer's spirit. Wax is a lone wolf. He's married to his gun. He's unflappable. And once Caster Troy realizes he can't take Wax off his game, I think his confidence plummets. That spells the end. They get into a high-speed boat chase. Forget it. We, we know yeah. Wax thrives in high-speed chases. Yeah, so be- better name, uh, Caster Troy or Charlie Wax? I think Caster Troy is the better name. But I, I think do, it is, too. I really love Charlie Wax. I would put Charlie Wax, the character, in my top five inexplicably invincible action stars of all time. That's how much I love him in this movie. I would love him... John Matrix, the dude from Taken, Brian Mills, uh, who else? Rambo. I'd love to get all those guys. And like how Charlie Wax, just literally Charlie Wax, you don't have to change the character, wasn't put into Expendables is inexcusable. Just bring him in. That's an excellent point because he fits the mold. It's inexplicable. If we got Mickey Rourke smoking a pipe as a tattoo artist, Charlie Wax should be in that movie. Did, did we get Carl Weathers at any point? Not in The Expendables, no. Which is also, That's I think, tra- a travesty. That's travesty, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, full disclosure, I sort of stole this idea from an old website I would visit way back in college called What Would Uncle Jesse Do? Which was, sort of <laughs> like, <laughs> which was like this absurd website of random Uncle Jesse w- facts. <laughs> W-W-U-G-D. And sadly... W-W-U-J-D. Represent. Yeah. Sadly, website no longer exists. I tried to go there. Uh, It does have a Twitter account, so I'll share that via social. But one of the recurring blogs it would do was like Uncle Jesse versus some other character. It'd be like Uncle Jesse versus RoboCop. Spoiler, Uncle Jesse always won. I really wish I could share some of these... Uh, that that was a website of its time. I don't think it would fly like it that it you know it did then today because it was it was so absurd. It was. I I can't believe this is coming up in 2019. I remember you sharing this this with me yeah, back in the day. This was the Chuck Norris jokes before the Chuck Norris jokes were a thing. That was the ultimate showdown. The conceit behind what would Uncle Jesse do dot com, and it was fantastic. But the Twitter lives on, so I will share it. Uh, So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're just doing some recommendations. Welcome back. Hops and Box Office Flops, Travolta Month, from Paris with Love. We both love the movie. Now we're going to do some quick recommendations. Would you like to go first, Chumpzilla? Yeah, I'm going to make uh, two quick recommendations here. One, check out the body count on this movie. Okay, Charlie Wax knocks out a conservative 49 kills, and James Reese gets one. Okay, it's, it's impactful, but just the one. And I'll also say this, there's one huge math error in this movie, and you can probably explain it away if there's a lobby involved, but it's the stair math. If the terrorists are on the ninth floor and they have to get to the first, that is not nine, but eight flights of stairs. So when Charlie does his math, six seconds a floor over the eight floors to get to the first floor, that's only 48 seconds, not the 56 he calculates. That would require a lobby or a lower level. Perhaps that's in play. Don't know. But whatever, just saying, hey, I run the stairs in my office building, and you're always one like one set of stairs lower than the floor you come from. 
Anyway, recommendations. You know what? I'm just going to say that one of my favorite TV shows to watch is Jeopardy. And uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm a nerd. I love playing along on TV. And our pal Alex Trebek is uh, doing his best to battle cancer. And I think we should all take a moment here to check out you know, what might be some of the last episodes of Jeopardy with Alex that we get to see. And just let's relish what's been part of most of our TV and pop culture lives for the last, what, 20 years? Yeah. Okay. So props. Yeah, and more, yeah. Uh, so prop, props to, to Jeopardy and Alex Trebek. And uh, yeah, Final Jeopardy. That's all I got. And props to the guy who wrote uh, We Love You, Alex, as his Final Jeopardy answer, which caused Trebek to tear up, understandably. It was awesome. It was yeah. a great moment. I'll share that on the social. It was all over Twitter. I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he broke the no shout out policy, but obviously for all the right reasons. Yeah, and uh, even though Wax's math is funny when he drops the suicide vest onto the fleeing car, just remember, he asks Reese how many are left, and he says three. After the vest explodes, he goes, and then there were none. Another classic Wax. Yes. Vest. So my recommendation, I'm sticking with Pierre Morel's filmography. I'm going to recommend District B-13. It's an incredibly badass French martial arts action film. It's incredible. All practical. It utilizes parkour in ways that really hadn't been done before uh, until they became a little bit more popularized in more notable films like Casino Royale. There's just tremendous set pieces throughout the movie. If you remember Live Free or Die Hard, the fourth Die Hard movie, one of the henchmen for Timothy Oliphant's bad guy, the little guy who he calls a spider monkey, he's in District B-13. It is a French film, so it's subtitled, but what does that really matter? I think if, if you like action movies, you'd love it. Uh, so next week, we roll on with Travolta Month, with The Fanatic. Oh, geez, I didn't even list that on his filmography, but guess what? Also terribly reviewed. Uh, Oof. Which is a bummer. But, you know, there's so many great Travolta pieces that maybe this will return one day on the pod. Wait, is this different than the uh, Robert De Niro movie, The Fan? Y- yes. Are these yeah. two different things? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, th- yeah, I think <laughs> they're similar, though. <laughs> Like, really, it's, it's the same principle, <laughs> except he's the fan of. Now, this is what I find kind of ironic about it. Devin Sawa is the movie star that John Travolta is obsessed with. And who is Devin Sawa? But the star of the Stan music video that Eminem did where he's obsessed oh. with Eminem. So maybe I'm the only one who thought that was interesting. But is that irony? I think that, is that or just a coincidence? OK, yeah, cool, cool. Coincidental. But. Uh, yeah, not well-reviewed. Directed by Fred Durst, as we've mentioned many, many times. Yeah. Oh, this this is the Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Water movie. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and in knowing that, I already have my recommendation for next week lined up. So I will leave you with this. Wax on, wax off. If you want to be a secret agent man, you have to roll like a secret agent man. We'll see you next time. <laughs>